You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, Senior Multimedia Specialist here at NCQA. NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance, seeks to improve the quality of healthcare in America. We want to make healthcare better for everyone. We set expectations of healthcare organizations, measure their performance, and highlight those that do well. And we use science to help us build better health and better choices for all Americans. If you're a fan of this podcast or have any comments or concerns, write to us at communications at ncqa.org. We look forward to hearing from you. On today's episode of Inside Healthcare, we include three interviews recorded live at NCQA's inaugural Health Innovation Summit. We talk about behavioral health crisis management at the national, county, and community levels, and we get an inside look after that at NCQA's recognition programs. But first, let's start with two interviews regarding the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Both interviews were conducted at the summit in our podcast center. Now, the following is just a clip from my interview with Dr. John Palmieri. The full interview appears in our sixth mini-episode from our series, A View from the Summit, available on our blog. John Palmieri, MD, is Senior Medical Advisor at SAMHSA, that's the HHS Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. He's also the acting director for the 988 and Behavioral Health Crisis Coordinating Office. He spoke at the NCQA Health Innovation Summit in a seminar titled Transforming Behavioral Health Crisis Care. And his focus of his presentation, the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, now a federal initiative where anyone in the country who's experiencing a behavioral crisis can call or text and receive immediate support. So 988 was created as an easier to remember, easier to access three digit code as a way to reach trained crisis counselors for individuals who are in suicidal mental health or substance use crisis. It has essentially become a portal to what has existed as the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline since 2005, but we believe that with an easier to remember code, it will be more accessible for individuals in crisis. So we've had something on the national level for since 2005 then? Correct. And and I know that- And even prior to that, honestly. Right, and I know that private, uh, there are private services that try to find areas where it's appropriate to do it. There's state level that will have crisis hotlines on campuses, for example, like that. Um, but 988 is, it's, it's different. And I'm not calling it a hotline anymore. We're calling it a lifeline because it's not just phone. How do people reach uh, 988 services, how they access it? Yeah, one of the important ways that the lifeline has evolved over the past several years has been to increase uh, options for communication channels. And so text and chat functionality both have been uh, adopted over the past several years and are now ways to reach the 988 lifeline uh, in, in current day. The idea, let's say from a person's perspective, a patient, individual perspective, I can pick up the phone and I can call three digits and there's always somebody there. So breaking that down, that means you have to have, uh, the communication has to be in place, the infrastructure for that has to be in place, the readiness has to be in place, the staffing 
which has been diminished in many ways across the healthcare world, has to also be in place. So you can pick any or all of those and, and tell us how does this work to begin with? Yeah, it's, it's a complicated kind of orchestra of many moving pieces, as you're, as you're pointing out. And so historically, there have been challenges, honestly, in the way that it's worked because there has not been a tremendous amount of funding dedicated to the lifeline when it was known as the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So response rates, uh, the ability to, to answer calls, contacts quickly, that suffered as a result of the, of, the, of the resource challenges. And so one of the ways that we really have stepped up from the federal perspective is to provide unprecedented resources and investments in FY22 to support capacity building, which largely has gone to workforce. So we don't want people to be waiting when they're calling, texting, chatting into 988 to get connected to accounts. So we want to make sure that their, their call, their contact is answered quickly. And so one of the key ways that we do that is obviously maintaining the technology infrastructure uh, and supporting the administrator of the Lifeline network to oversee the function of the network. Mm -hmm. But we also need to have bodies in those seats basically answering and responding to those contacts. And then what happens next? Do people it's obviously not the same for everybody, but in order to do this, you, you should have just a short list of what are you trying to have as the outcomes. Obviously, the outcome is better health, but literally, if somebody is answering one of those calls, they must have a short list of uh, places, directions to send somebody or referrals that they should be making. Um, so how does that work, uh, especially if you're um, trying to send them to a facility, then whoever it is who's answering the phone is talking to this one person. You need to be able to know where that person is who called in and to be able to know locally where to send them if they really are in crisis and they need something with immediacy. Yeah, those, there are many layers to your question here. So. <laughs> Uh, so yes, so one of the things that is critically important is that the counselors are trained uh, in crisis intervention, de-escalation, uh, stabilization services so that anybody who contacts the Lifeline, they're receiving standardized risk assessment, suicide screening, and stabilization services depending upon what their acute crisis is. There also is a critical need for that contact to be linked and to have awareness of resources in the local community to be able to refer, provide uh, navigation support and linkage to those ongoing supports. The local capacity is critically important uh, and it's one of the things that we've been very focused in on to make sure that when people are contacting the Lifeline to the degree that's possible, they are being linked to local centers based upon where they're calling from. Uh, there are challenges there because 988 does not have geolocation capabilities the way that 911 does. So we're trying to improve the location and the routing of those calls to local centers that reflect where the person is. But that, that integration with the local system of care is critically important for the follow-up. We also know that, by and large, there isn't a need for a next-level intervention in real time for people when they're contacting the Lifeline. There have been lots of studies looking at this. The Lifeline is highly effective in providing stabilization services so that people don't need to be hospitalized. They don't need an immediate higher level intervention. So the Lifeline is very effective in stabilizing those crisis situations and then providing that ongoing support. A brief bit of my talk with Dr. John Palmieri, a senior medical advisor at SAMHSA, the full interview is available in mini-episode 6 from our series, A View from the Summit. 
Now, this talk leads us into our next interview, also recorded live in the Podcast Center at the inaugural Health Innovation Summit in 2022. Maria Stanfield is Director for Strategic Operations and Administration for the Detroit Wayne Integrated Health Network. This behavioral health-focused network, with hundreds of providers, serves over 75,000 adults and children in Detroit and the surrounding Wayne County, Michigan. Its mission states that it is a healthcare safety net organization that provides access to a full array of integrated services that facilitate individuals to maximize their level of function and create opportunities for quality of life. Maria's network proudly states that it is innovative, outcome, and data-driven, and evidence-based, so she feels right at home with us. Maria had just come from hearing Dr. Palmieri speak at the Summit Panel on Behavioral Crisis Management, and as a professional who works on the county and local levels to help mitigate and de-escalate these types of crisis situations, Maria reacts here to Dr. Palmieri's presentation. Here's my chat with Maria Stanfield. Tell me about um, what is the Integrated Health Network? How is it set up? So the Detroit Wayne Integrated Health Network services over 80,000 Wayne County residents for integration of behavioral and physical health. We have organizations, we're both a provider and a payer of care. So we have over 300 providers to provide direct service. So we provide community-based and residential services. Um, we're also getting into the crisis stabilization, so short-term crisis stabilization, brick and mortar. Um, where we're providing stable, stabilization services for mental health members and all of our all of the residents of Wayne County in Michigan um, are our members, but members that are presenting with acute mental health symptoms that um, need to be seen by a clinician, therapist, stabilized right away. And I know you and I were just talking about the 988 Lifeline. Yes. It's not a hotline anymore, no. but the, the suicide and behavioral health crisis uh, hotline. Um, and it's not a hotline because that implies it's only over the phone, right. but there's texting and there's some other way that you can access it online. Um, so we've had discussions here and there's been presentation. Uh, at the uh, summit this week, the Health mm -hmm. Innovation Summit, where Dr. John Palmieri, uh, coming in from SAMHSA, he's one of the heads, of, one of the leaders of the project. Mm -hmm. So it's a national lifeline for people who are, um, who are in crisis. And he was able to talk about it from his perspective. So tell me from your perspective, um, what happens when some, just say literally, what happens somebody picks up the phone in Wayne County and how do you, how do you use uh, 988 um, as a, a tool for helping them? 988, very much like 911, is direct access to um, a mental health therapist that will address either, as you said, behavioral health or suicidal ideations, and then funnel that through um, a provider to assist with that, or to have um, someone from the police system to come out if, if someone is presenting right away and needs help right away. Um, uh, one of the concerns that I had that I talked to you about, David, is I'm not sure if cities, states, entities 
have a CIT unit that is trained like the, the police are trained as well as the mental health clinicians to be able to assess and address um, with, with, the, with the member, the client, the person is dealing with. And that's very important. In Wayne County, if someone called 988, um, very much like, the, like 911, they would get um, uh, someone from the police department who is partnering with the mental health clinician and then they would assess which one would be best to address the, um, the member or the consumer and what steps to take at that time. So if that's the case, then uh, you have a team of people. It has to be a small team. Can't have 25 people all on the line because that's not oh, going to no. make somebody calm, help them to right. calm down. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like it's a team effort to triage people as fast as you can. Uh, somebody picks up the phone or they start to text, they say that they're in trouble. So you're saying that you have more than one person trying to figure out right away which way, which direction, who's the person that would help them the most. Is that something like that? Yes. Well, the unique thing about Detroit is all of our police officers are trained in CIT. And, and this is something that Detroit Wayne Integrated Health Services offered because there was a need. So one of the issues today within healthcare with behavioral health, um, and this is great that we have so many people here from so many parts of the healthcare world, health, the healthcare ecosystem we're talking yes. about it this week, is um, when everybody, wherever they're coming from, gets in the same room and starts talking about behavioral health, everybody agrees that it's, it's even terrible that we have to say it's behavioral health as opposed to physical health as opposed to the, because we need to really keep thinking and start thinking more about uh, whole health. Although I serve as the Director of Strategic Operations at DWIN, I'm a clinical psychologist by trade, and it's, it, it, it doesn't matter the term if you say holistic health, whole health, somatic. The, the clinical term is somatic, having physical symptoms that manifest themselves in behavioral health. It's, it's being integrated and collaborating and I've been talking, I've been texting and putting posts on all the social media handles since I've been attending the conference about how wonderful it is. And I love the way NCQA has, um, it, you're right, it's people from everywhere, you know, all across the United States. It's um, pediatricians, general practitioners, psychologists, um, data analysts, and we're all talking about the need for behavioral health and physical health to be integrated, right? But I'm really interested in seeing what NCQA is going to do in terms of follow-up. That's going to be the, I mean, you know, that's the next thing that I'm like, okay, what's next? Thanks for being here. Thank you, David, and thank you for allowing me to come into this amazing booth. You're doing a phenomenal job, and I'm happy to be part of the NCQA family. That's Maria Stanfield, Director for Strategic Operations and Administration, for the Detroit Wayne Integrated Health Network. Maria is active on social media, so feel free to find her and see the videos that she recorded with me at the Health Innovation Summit. We thank her for helping promote this show and for stopping by to chat. Fatin Yusufzeh is a manager in recognition programs policy for NCQA. This means that, among other things, if you're a primary or specialty care practice pursuing NCQA recognition, or if you're an individual interested in becoming a certified content expert, or CCE, and you email us or you pick up the phone to call for more information, chances are that Fatin 
will be the one who gives you all the answers. After nearly four years at NCQA, Fatin sometimes knows what you're going to ask before you ask it, believe me. Recorded live in a relatively quiet room at NCQA's Health Innovation Summit, here's my talk with Fatin Yusufzai. Programs uh, oftentimes are required by states to come through our PCMH program uh, in order to receive incentive-based payments. Uh, and oftentimes what they describe to us is a amazing model for their business to not only operate at the top of their license, not only to have a collaborative team that are all operating at the top of their licenses, but also be able to see the business benefits of incorporating and implementing those PCMH core criteria. For most of the time during your job, who are you talking to when you pick up the phone or you're emailing someone? So the people who we are mostly dealing with are PCMH managers. Those managers can be from a doctor's office all the way to a larger health center or even those mobile van clinics. Uh, we speak to a variety of different types of people with different backgrounds. Um, mainly, we are dealing with usually the PCMH manager. Um, who is someone who is making sure that all of the program is implemented into their day-to-day -day workflows. So that could be a social worker at a doctor's office. That could be the front desk receptionist at a doctor's office. Uh, sometimes it's only three people within a practice. And so you may be speaking to all three of them together because we're all working on it together. Um, so it, it is typically a mix, uh, but mostly we are interacting with and working and um, helping uh, doctor's offices, primary care practices especially, come through our PCMH program. What do you think their priorities should be, especially when they're trying to pursue recognition for the first time? So a big part of our program is ensuring that the practice is able to provide long-term primary care. Uh, it's very difficult to get a brick-and-mortar practice started. However, if you have a van, or even a mobile van where you are able to go out into communities, um, provide public health education, or maybe during COVID provide testing, um, that probably would be the best way for you to reach out to the community. But again, part of the PCMH program is to ensure constant, consistent care over time. And so if you are able to provide those services initially through means like a mobile man, as long as mobile van, as long as you are able to then provide that follow-up care elsewhere, refer them to the appropriate places where they may go. There are so many um, ways that practices can enroll patients into state-funded or federally funded programs that can help address certain disparities. Uh, so those mobile vans, believe it or not, even though it may seem like they aren't able to provide an x-ray screening in there or even perform um, some type of lab, it's still a very, very good way for people to at least receive some kind of health education. So how do you train or advise people to consider themselves uh, as part of the greater health ecosystem? Exactly. So the patient-centered medical home truly is a home. You're supposed to feel the most at home, the most comfortable at the practice that you are going to receive the care that you wish to receive for any chronic illnesses, even if it's something acute, or maybe you are looking for a specialty referral. Everyone goes into a practice for a different need. 
And oftentimes the staff themselves, especially when you're coming through PCMH recognition, it is a huge transition. You have to, on top of your already very busy workload, have to now add on this other layer of quality improvement that you may not fully understand. You may not understand the point of making making that effort. Uh, Also, practices may not see the benefit of it initially. However, every single person who's part of the patient medical home, from the person who checks the patient in, from the person who triages to the provider that sees the patient, to the social worker or nurse that then counsels the patient afterwards, every single person plays a role in that patient experience and that patient journey. It becomes a journey at a much larger level when then you are able to provide warm handoffs to other providers. Um, For example, we have a distinction in behavioral health integration program that is Um, available for practices who are PCMH certified to basically add that cherry on top, making sure that they are able to provide and connect their practices, uh, and especially the patients to in their practices to behavioral health providers, especially given now the the lack of uh, behavioral health related services that patients are dealing with. My conversation with NCQA Recognition Program's Policy Manager, Fatin Yusufzai. Keep it tuned to Inside Healthcare in 2023 as we bring more chats with folks here at NCQA. You'll learn important insights, especially if your group or company is interested in NCQA products from recognition to certification. And now we come to our regular Fast Facts segment. We present some quick tips to keep you safe. The holiday season doth approach, and so do relatives bearing gifts. In the spirit of the season, December is also Safe Toys and Gifts Month. Before I go any further, I'll remind listeners about NCQA's HEDIS measure titled Children and Adolescents' Access to Primary Care Practitioners, or CAP for short. CAP helps measure how many children of various age groups are taken for routine primary care checkups. And as you might imagine... We found that the more regularly the child sees a doctor, the less likely they are to end up in the ER with a non-urgent visit. Safe Toys and Gifts Month is about avoiding accidents that could lead a child to a possibly urgent ER visit. So, to keep children happily playing with their presents and not suffering from them, here are some tips from the American Public Health Association. Inspect all toys before purchasing. Avoid those that shoot or include parts that fly off. Toys should have no sharp edges or points and should be sturdy enough to withstand impact without breaking or being crushed or pulled apart easily. Make sure toys are appropriate and marked for the child's age, skill level, and or development. If you're buying sports equipment, also buy protective gear at the same time. For example, if you're buying a skateboard to give a kid, buy a helmet and knee pads and elbow pads at the same time. Do not give toys that have ropes or long cords or heating elements. And one more thing. When purchasing toys for children with special needs, try to do some of the following. One, look for toys that might appeal to different senses, such as sound, movement, and texture. Consider interactive toys to allow the child to socialize and play with others. And think about the size of the toy and the position of the child position that the child would need to be in in order to play with it. I'll have links for these and more tips in this episode's description. 
Taking a moment here to mention our amazing fellowship opportunity, which celebrates the life and work of Phyllis Torda, a leader and mentor to many at NCQA from 1995 to 2015. This is the Phyllis Torda Healthcare Quality and Equity Fellowship. Researchers eager to work and learn at the forefront of quality and health equity have until January 31, 2023 to apply for the fellowship. This is just one great way NCQA trains the next generation of quality leaders. We seek candidates who want to grow by researching healthcare quality and equity and learning about national healthcare policy and quality measurement. The Phyllis Torta Fellow will work on critical issues related to quality and equity, including healthcare disparities, social needs, and telehealth and health information technology. And the fellow will also be mentored by NCQA senior staff, participate in educational programs, learn through research projects, and network with thought leaders. We welcome and encourage applicants who meet the eligibility criteria from the following historically underrepresented racial and ethnic groups. American Indian, Alaskan Native, African American Black, Asian American, Native Hawaiian and other Pacific Islander, and Hispanic Latinx. I'll have a link with information in the description of this episode, but feel free anytime to venture to ncqa.org and type TORDA, that's T-O-R-D-A, in the search bar at the top right corner of the screen. As we do on each episode of Inside Healthcare, we ask you now for your thoughts on today's show. Email us at communications at ncqa.org with your comments. And if you're blanking for what to say, here's our question of the week. How do you best train non-medical staff to manage a patient with a potential behavioral health crisis? And if you have a comment, a suggestion, an idea for a guest on our show, maybe you'd like to be the guest, just email us and let us know, communications at ncqa.org. We hope to hear from you soon. Well, that's all for episode 94 of NCQA's Inside Healthcare podcast. Thanks for joining us. This episode's done, but plenty came before it for you to explore and investigate. Share a show, spread the word, help build our audience by letting others know about NCQA's work. And if you haven't done so already, connect with NCQA on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll get video promos for this show to share with friends and colleagues. And as always, we thank you, our loyal listener, for being part of our audience each time. On behalf of our award-winning NCQA communications team, I'm Dave Smolar. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.